Well, good, good evening to one and all here in the house of God and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre. And uh, we do believe that a church alive is worth the drive. And for those who can't be here, we welcome you to our podcast service and we trust that the Spirit of God will touch and minister to you as though you were sitting in the very, very front chair. And so, but Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for an impartation of victorious Christian living, Father. And we can celebrate the life and liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. That we are not in bondage, Father, but we have been set free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Amen. Tonight, I've, uh, over the last few weeks, I've spoken on the, the book of Philippians and on the book of Colossians. And tonight, I'm going to be touching just ever so gently on the book of Galatians. And... Uh, but just as an introduction, uh, throughout the course of history, we've come to know and we've come to admire people who have risked all their lives and their own liberties for the sake of others. And immediately coming to the mind of many will be names and events, and these people have altered uh, the history of the world, and their vision, their deeds, their sacrifices have been etched into the books of history. They've been etched into Wikipedia They've been etched into our minds even. And um, the lives of such people like William Wallace and his cry for freedom for the people of Scotland. And recall that movie when he cries out, freedom. I'm not sure if that's historically correct, but his life certainly spoke of that. He was tortured and given a brutal death and he was quartered and his body was sent to the four extremes of the kingdom. Uh, William Wilberforce dedicated his entire life to the abolition of the slave trade. Fifty years after he started, he died. And, uh, but he saw that come to pass. And Abraham Lincoln, in, uh, setting the American people free of the curse of slavery, just didn't set slaves free, but he set the American people free and, uh, and paid for his stand and was assassinated five days after the victory of the Civil War was won. It was almost like he was a Christ-like figure and the blood of the nation fell almost on one man. What about Nelson Mandela, 27 years in a prison on Robben Island and upon his release after 27 years being in prison, uh, he was elected president of South Africa and then uh, the years of apartheid were finished. His 752-page autobiography, which I read some 20 years ago, was titled, A Long Walk to Freedom. Tonight we're talking about liberty and freedom, and you'll find it all in the book of Galatians. But somebody paid for that freedom, and somebody has always paid for the liberty. And often it's the price of the innocent that the guilty could go free, is often, and that really is the gospel message, isn't it? And when these and other victories were won, there was an amazing appreciation for the price that was paid for the life and liberties that the people now enjoyed. Isn't that true? When you come through a midst of victory and people have paid a heavy price so that others could enjoy that liberty, not only that generation, but countless generations of people now stepped into a provision that was, in fact, paid for by the blood, soil, uh, soil sweat and tears taken the words 
really of another of history's great defenders of freedom and liberty, Winston Churchill. But that liberty now being paid for heavily now needs to be defended. I recall the, the words of Patrick Hendering, and he was one of the founding fathers of the American nation, and he says, uh, you may have heard this, I know not what, what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Amazing pronouncement. But they had nothing to lose, did they? And people with nothing to lose often win their victories because they have nothing to lose. It became a catch cry for the war of independence for the American colonies. Thomas Jefferson was one of the American fathers of independence. He was the North and the South Star. John Adams was the South. And the man who was the primary author of the Declaration of Independence, he was the third president of the United States, was George Washington, John Adams, and then Thomas Jefferson. But he quoted this, he says, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. Amazing, isn't it? Christ died so that we would have liberty. But he knew before even becoming a man, the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us, that he would die for the liberty of others. In the Torah, being the first five books of the laws of Moses, the children of Israel had been set free from the oppression and bondage of Egypt. And amongst the various laws were the laws to be a holy people. They were to be a separated people. And from the other tribes and peoples, separated to God. And God had given them a liberty they had never known. They'd been 430 years in captivity and bondage in Egypt. Me, I was in bondage to the world for 29 years before I came to Christ and received the great liberty that I had in salvation. Today, God is making available to you a life and liberty you have never known through the person of Jesus Christ. Accept Christ today as your Lord and Savior. You and I, before accepting Christ, His redemption, were enslaved to sin. I was enslaved to sin. I was in bondage to a lifestyle and values that raged against God. And we were powerless to resist those urges of the world upon our life. And so we were chained, we were shackled, we were fettered to a kingdom and a world that is perishing. You and I were fettered, chained to a perishing world, a perishing life. But we also received the power necessary in salvation when you receive Christ, you receive the power to live a victorious life. Somebody said, how could I live this life of Christ? And a lot of people delay this decision thinking, how could I live a holy life? I'll be going against the flow, and I'm struggling even now going with the flow. But the fact is, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Ghost, and He gives you the power to not only live a new life in a new kingdom and for a new king, but also to swim against the tide and flow of humanity. In Numbers 25 and verse 6 and 8, we read of a man who flaunted a very wrong relationship with a foreign woman before Moses and the people and God's law. Do you recall that? And this caused a man named Phineas. Can you say the word Phineas for me? Okay, you're awake out there. But Phineas was zealous. He was zealous for God. Amen? And he thrust a javelin through both the man and the Midianite woman. It was Phineas's zeal for God that turned back God's judgment on all the people. 
And I believe there needs to be more Phineases in our country today, amen? We need more people who have a zeal for God. Men and women of conviction, of conscience, and of courage. And in the political arena, arena at this point in time, I can think of none. Not one person comes to mind with a person of conviction, a person of, conf- of, of uh, conscience, and a person of courage. Not one. Our uh, conservative leaders have let us down very, very badly. To thrust forth the word of light into the darkness and deliver a people held captive by Satan and sin and circumstance. But I pray that men men and women of conviction and conscience would rise again in this land. And we definitely need it. In Romans 1.32, it speaks of a people who approved of sinful lifestyles. And really, that paints a picture of our our nation today. That, That is where we are indifferent. And when we have the capacity to affect change or protect the liberty of the majority, we are and remain silent. And that is true. Which is the sin of this age? We remain silent when we know things to be wrong. We do not partake of all that is out there. Speaking of the majority of Australians, they don't partake in the worst of sins that is out there, but they, have a, they do not disapprove of the lifestyles of sin nor sin in general, and we've been silent for too long, and now there is a wave of unrighteousness, and it seems to be flooding the earth today. We turned on YouTube last night, and you can't believe what is going on on a day-to-day basis. Is there anybody else think like that when you turn on YouTube and see what's going on in the earth? But it didn't come overnight, and it has been incremental, progressive, and planned. And we have seen the signs coming for as long as I've been a Christian. And in fact, since about 1980, when I began to realize about spiritual things and righteousness and global governance and so forth, I've been aware of incremental change. And when speaking about it, people would dismiss it very, very quickly. But now it cannot be denied what is going on. But Phineas was passionate for God. His zeal was not bound to the law because he experienced the delivering from slavehood. He experienced the deliverance from servanthood and bondage and the lash. Before any written law was given, he experienced deliverance from Egypt. And so he was delivered from Egypt and Egypt was delivered from him. That's what happened to me in 1992. I was delivered from the world and the world was delivered from me. I was a new creation in Christ Jesus and I just wanted to let everybody know about it. It was so good, wasn't it? It was so good. Ignorance was bliss. I thought everybody would be as excited as I was. And you would have experienced that excitement as well. (laughs) But he who was set free and the liberty he now enjoyed, he was willing to protect Phineas enjoyed the liberty that that he experienced by being set free and he was willing to protect that liberty that he had. But there were many who had been delivered from Egypt and the bondage and the slavehood and they wanted to go back to that bondage and it astounds me. It is one of the saddest things to see and to witness and observe when a person initially accepts this new way of life is passionate for God, and then goes back into the world that they were once delivered from. 
And it, I don't know if anybody else has seen that, but it must grieve your heart, and it certainly grieves the heart of God. But this now brings us to an, a man in the New Testament, and his name was called Saul. And he too was filled with zeal, wasn't he? And we know his life. He was raised as a Pharisee. Saul, by the age of 12, he could paraphrase the five books of the law or Moses, paraphrase it by heart with no prompting. The Hebrew Bible is set up in that way to be memorized in its original language. And so he knew the law, but he did not know God. The letter of the law he knew meticulously, meticulously. He was a brilliant man. I would say Paul had a photographic memory because all the letters he wrote had uh, uh, tremendous references to the Old Testament and he would have only had access to a limited amount of Scripture while he was uh, travelling. And so I would say that Paul had a photographic memory. He was a brilliant man. The letter of the law he knew meticulously. He surpassed it says he surpasses all his contemporaries, fellow students of the law, under the tutorship of Gamaliel, who is mentioned in the book of Acts. Gamaliel himself was the go-to man for uh, the Hebrew. An intellectual duel with Paul would have been a piercing and painful experience in which he would have taken great delight. I wouldn't have wanted to have an intellectual duel or a scripture duel with Paul. He would have annihilated everybody that you could absolutely think of. But a good question to ask of ourselves when we think we're knowledgeable in certain things regarding God is do we have God as a concept in your mind or is He a reality in your life? Do you have Christ as a concept in your mind or is He a reality in your life? You can often ask, do you have Christ on a chain around your neck or is, he a really, or is he a resident in your heart? It's a good question to ask. The first thing I ask when people have a necklace and a crucifix on it, they say, oh, you're a Christian then. Because a lot of people wear crucifixes as, a, as an ornament or a, a piece of jewelry. And uh, they have no concept of Christ in their heart at all. But it's a great question to ask people. It's a great question to ask of ourselves. And so Paul's knowledge of the, law, of the law, however, did not have a capacity or power to empower him to live by its highest ideals. I could live, I could read this book over and over and over and over. I could memorize great portions of Scripture, which I have. Whole chapters of this beautiful book I have memorized. But if Christ is not in us, if the Spirit of God is not in us, it remains an intellectual pursuit. And that's what Paul had. He had an intellectual support. There would have been no greater mind than what Paul had. And so, but misguided Paul, he, held, he was held into captivity. He was in, held in bondage more than any man on the face of the earth. He was held in bondage to bitterness. He was resentful. And he had jealousy, hatred, and ultimately murder was in his heart. He would have committed murder, condoned murder, and we know that he did. He consented to the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And it says they laid the feet, the clothing of those who stoned Stephen at a young man named Paul, or Saul, sorry. Remember that? So he consented to their death. This highly religious man who knew doctrine, who knew theology, who knew the, the law, the books of the law, off by heart. 
he did not have a love of God. He was on his way to Damascus, as we read in the book of Acts, to track down any believers in Jesus. And and he had in his hand or in his possession the legitimate papers and authorization to detain any person who was a follower of the way or a follower of Christ. This is Paul, the zealous man for God. Can you believe this? But I want to say this can happen to any person. But when confronted with the testimonies of this person called Jesus, and he would have been confronted with so many testimonies of them, he did did not recognize Jesus as the coming Messiah because he was looking for Christ, because he was not looking for Christ, because he was looking for a career. You can have a career in, in being a Pharisee. The Pharisees were an elite person. There was an amazing career in being a Pharisee. The Pharisees had high status. They had had a position in society. And, And indeed, they were very, very wealthy. A Pharisee was renowned for his ability to earn and make money. And why wouldn't you want? My own daughter went into a career because she knew that was where it was going to make the most money. So she went out and got a law degree. She said, that's where they make the most money, so that's what I'm going to be. Until she found something else that made much more money. And, uh, and so she chose her career that way. But people still did in this day too. And so, but Paul himself, he wasn't looking for the Christ. In fact, probably uh, since, uh, uh, since the time of Adam and uh, in Genesis 3.15, there was a prophecy that said that God would send a, a, a Christ, a Redeemer. And you can see it in Genesis 3.15. And really, up until uh, uh, the New Testament, when Christ did appear, the whole of the Old Testament looks forward to the Christ. Everybody's anticipating the Christ. Jesus came for three and a half years, and now we're looking for Christ again. So really, for the whole history of humanity, everybody is still looking forward to the return of Christ. Amen. There is only a three and a half period when he was on the earth. But apart from that, we have always been looking for the second, now the second coming of Christ. But of all the great emancipists of all history, there is only one and one only who stands alone, who can deliver every tribe and every tongue and nation in all the earth. There is only one deliverer, delivering not only for a a political liberty or a social liberty, but, but a liberty from every work of darkness. There is a liberty in the person of Jesus Christ. Galatians points this out. I'm creating a hunger in you to read the book of Galatians. There is only six chapters through the lens of this one word called liberty and liberty in the person of Jesus Christ. Deliverance from religion, deliverance and salvation, deliverance from sickness, deliverance from disease, deliverance from poverty. Who delivers all these things? The person of Jesus Christ. Oh, we've had some great people over the years. In fact, he delivered and made provision for the salvation of every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl in every age. That is the person of Jesus Christ. What a liberty there is in this person. In John 3.16, we know it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The world. And so we think, not just Scotland for William Wallace for a few short years, Not just South Africa, where Nelson Mandela uh, uh, broke down religious apartheid and started a new world for those people. Not just in England, not in Australia or America, China or Chinchilla. 
Why chinchilla? My wife was born in chinchilla, amen? What a good thing. But for the whole world, for the whole world and for all time, this gospel will be pretty will be preached from Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, and he will save from the outermost to the uttermost is the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a great liberty that you and I enjoy. But sometimes you think we've been baptized in lemon juice because we don't, we don't exude this great liberty that we have. And when you've seen, I've seen people, plenty of people come out of jail, plenty of people. I worked in the prison system for eight years. I saw them to the front gate and waved them goodbye, saw them, put them in their taxity with, their, with all their worldly goods, and they were happy to be out. And you too should be happy for the Christ, for Christ has set us free from a bondage, a bondage, a terrible bondage that led to eternal damnation. We were set free from it, not just for this life, but in the life to come. So this now brings us uh, to Paul's letter to the Galatians. And Galatia was a region in Turkey, and, uh, uh, where, uh, and that letter was addressed to all the churches in Christ. I, thought, I like those words, the churches who are in Christ, and I think it pertains even to this day and age. And I would say, Jesus would say, to the churches who are in Christ, because there's a lot of churches out there, but not every church that you see is no longer in Christ is no longer in Christ. Christ is no longer the head of that church. The world may look on as a church, but it is not the church. And so, but if there was one word to describe the whole of six chapters, which comprises the letter to the Galatian church, it would be the word liberty. Liberty. If there were two words to describe this wonderful book called Galatians, it would be called bondage. And the opposite being liberty, or the answer to bondage is liberty. And so, Galatians 5.1, and I had it all typed out before I got here. I did a copy of Galatians 5.1 in about 20 different Bible verses, and I thought that will be so helpful. Anyway, it's sitting on my desk at home. But, <laughs> but Galatians 5.1 would have to be the centermost verse of this beautiful and wonderful book. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled with a yoke of bondage. So I just quickly Googled it, and I'm, yes, I've got it. I've never preached with a phone, but here I am. Miracles do, do happen. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let's go to a few more. You'll find these really interesting. The New Living Translation. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. What about that? Make sure you stay free. Oh, say to the person next to you, stay free, brother. Stay, stay, free. stay free, sister. Oh, yes. And he says, and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't get tied up. What? That's a command. You think that's an idle request? No, it's not. It is a command. What about this? The English Standard Version. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What about the Berean Standard Bible? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand therefore then and do not be encumbered 
once more to a yoke of slavery. Here we go, the King James Bible. Uh, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and not entangled again. We can, we can get entangled in life. Life entangles us again. We were free, but somehow we seem to get entangled. But the Bible says here, Paul says here, and who knows anything about the law and being entangled with the law, there was no person who was more entangled in the law before being set free, and so now he was his greatest advocate of being free. The NASB, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again. And on and on. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. What about that? Who wants to be liberated? Oh, therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again. Uh, For freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm. Don't submit to a yoke. Oh, I'll go through a few more there. Do not be entangled. Christ has set us free. This means we are really free. Now hold on to your freedom and don't ever become slaves of the law again. That is a command, an absolute command. Do not be entangled. Christ has freed us so that we may enjoy the benefits of freedom. Therefore be firm in this freedom and don't become slaves again. Freedom is what we have. Christ has set us free. Stand then as free people and do not allow yourselves to become slaves again. And on and on. And it says, and stop in the, uh, the International Standard Version says, and stop putting yourself under the yoke of slavery again. I, I encourage you, uh, go, to, uh, go to one of these websites and have a look at all these virgins. They just list them one after the other and you'll begin to, it'll begin to minister to you and uh, you'll be greatly encouraged by it. Paul's frustration, Paul's frustration with the believers at the, is that they really were enslaved. And when you read this scripture over and over again, the people who were being enslaved were victims of their own doing. And this is what frustrated Paul the most. He said, you are enslaving yourselves to this yoke of bondage. I'd like if you would just go to the book of Galatians. I'll go through a few verses and I won't speak long and I'll, I'll wrap it up. Because if we can see that the person who puts us under slavery, the most often times is ourselves, not the devil, not anybody else. God may use the devil, but we submit to those things. When, therefore, it says, uh, for he who the Son sets free is free indeed. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, uh, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. And so his appointment as an apostle came from God himself. And so in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to a grace of Christ to a different gospel. And he goes on to say that if anybody preaches anything but Christ and the liberty that we have in Christ, it is a different gospel and is actually not even a gospel at all. Yet we submit to all these different teachings. Do not taste, do not touch, do not do this, do not do that. You must have special days for this. But we have been set free as a born-again believer from all the regulations of the law. And he says, um, 
For I still please men, I will not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ, he says in verse 10. And I think that is a, an amazing thing. He says, this is the man who's speaking of liberty being set free. Chains are broken, fetters of iron are broken, but he's a bondservant of Christ. And I believe that the greatest freedom fighter on the earth today is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm a freedom fighter. Come on, David, I'm a freedom fighter. Can you say that? I am a freedom fighter. We're from, how can we be freedom fighters? Because we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. It's a gospel of Christ because there is no other gospel. And the reason that Paul became the apostle of grace, I always call him the, the apostle of grace and grit, is that is probably because he was the most bound person whose life had become so utterly bound to the law that he thought it was okay to kill people in the name of God according to the law. Phineas's zeal was because he had a love of God. It's different. Phineas's zeal was, uh, was uh, it, uh, it didn't appease God, but it satisfied the, a legal requirement. But the, the most bound person whose life had become bound to the law, bound to legalism, bound to the letter of the law, and when, when Paul was delivered... When confronted by the risen Christ, he realized the grace that he received because he had lost his sight in a moment in time when he knew that he could have lost his life in that very, very moment in time. For God to take his sight would have been just about as easy as to take his life. There was nothing, nothing different. And he realized that he had received a grace from God, that he was totally deceived, totally deceived. He thought he was doing the will of God. Thought he was. And he became the person, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. He wrote that scripture, for it is great, but it is by faith you have been saved through grace, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And he became the apostle, not of the law. He became the apostle, the great apostle of grace. And he knew grace because he experienced the extremities of it. The man who wrote the words, amazing grace, John Newton, he was so far from grace is why he appreciated the gospel of grace. And so when we're talking about, he said for in verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He didn't talk about here about killing Christians. And I advanced in Judaism. He's telling them of his earthly credentials, which in another, in Philippians, he counts them as dung, absolute dung. He says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he didn't confer with flesh and blood immediately, but it says that he went into Arabia for three years, and I believe that's where he did his life with Christ. The apostles were with Jesus for three, three and a half years, and so Paul was separated in the wilderness regions of Arabia for over three years. And so he did his apprenticeship. And so, and the, and the churches in Jerusalem were hearing in verse 23 that he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. That's why he was an apostle of grace. 
he had received God's full grace. Oh, there's so many fantastic scriptures in this book of Galatians. I'll go through a couple of verses before I wind up. He is the one who says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. If you're trying to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, wonderful thing to do. But you cannot do it by saying, I must, I must, I must. I must do this, I must do this, I must do this. You're bringing yourself under the law again. But Christ has given us a tremendous liberty. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives me. And the life I live, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. Oh, it's fantastic stuff. I'm going to uh, go then to uh, Galatians 5.1, and I'll read it there in its context before going on to that next bit. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled with the yoke of bondage. There was an observance of days and years and seasons. We're coming and somebody and has, has been inquiring about uh, our Easter services. And uh, for a lot of people, uh, Easter and Christmas are the times of the year where they would go to church. And I use those times, and we did last year, to have Easter services, but primarily it is for people who only come once or twice a year. But to me, every day is Christmas Day, amen? To me, every day is a Good Friday. And, and today, every day to me, is a Resurrection Sunday. One day is the same to a born-again believer as the next. There is no different thing. When I was in Israel for two and a half months, there was the Feast of Tabernacles and the High Holy Days and this and that, and all the religious observance of the Old Testament uh, feast days and so forth, and they're held in high esteem, and they're fantastically interesting. And sometimes people who spend too much time in Jerusalem actually start getting really so deeply in this that they give up on Christ and take up on all the festivals and high holy days and so forth. And that actually happens. Some people actually backslide because of all their entrenchment in ancient Juda Judaism. Ancient Judaism is the foundation from which the Christian faith is built. In fact, the Christian faith and it was built when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's when the Christian faith began. And it encompassed Judaism. But it was a framework for the Christ to be born into a nation, into a family. And from that person, uh, uh, salvation would come to all nations. And through him, all the nations, that being Israel, would be blessed. Amen. And so I say then, walk in the Spirit <coughs> and you will not fill or fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'll quickly go to Romans 8, 1 and close. If Jules could come to the keys, that would be great. Romans 8, 1. And this is Paul writing again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You and I have been set free from the law of sin and death.